Welcome to the District 3 Podcast. Again, this is Manny. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in on this beautiful Sunday. It's really warm. Um, I, I wasn't expecting this much humidity this summer. So for everybody that thought it was going to be, you know, like a hot girl summer or something, congratulations uh, because it's very warm. I've got a little sweat on me because I spent the day outside. Um, I hope our guest doesn't judge me too much. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for, for coming in. This is our 99th episode. It's a huge episode for us where it's kind of hard to believe we've been doing this show for this long. Um, thank you to everybody. Thank you to the Civic Center for having us. Um, it's it's uh, been really cool and a fun ride. Um, again, this is Manny, and today I'm joined by Justice of the Peace, um, Evelyn Gio Stafford. Uh, do, do you prefer just Evelyn? Or, I prefer yeah. Evelyn's fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good. Well, hey, We're thank not, you for yeah. being here. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and then no judgments at all. Like, this okay. is a, yeah, it's a, <laughs> good. it's a sweaty day. It is, it is. So, thank you so much. Um, Justice of the Peace. So, uh, Evelyn, you have a really interesting position, and it's something that not a lot of people talk about. Um, so I, you know, just from the title, could, can you maybe educate some people on what a justice of the peace is and what the quorum court is? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, a lot of people don't even sort of realize uh, what it is or what we do. Uh, when I was running for this office last year, I'm a ver- I'm a first time lawmaker, and I was elected for the very first time in November. Uh, when I was running, the number one question people had was, what is a justice of the peace anyway? <laughs> and uh, in Arkansas, it's it's fairly unique. And the names, uh, you know, date back to the Old West in the 1800s. Uh, but essentially what it means is uh, it's, it's, it's basically the city council for the county. Uh, so it's the, you know, so the justice of the peace, the district, uh, the the. Washington County and all the other counties in Arkansas are divided up into districts uh, and each justice of the peace represents one of the districts and they're basically the legislative branch for the county. Uh, and then on the, for a county on the executive side, you have somebody whose title is the county judge, but he's not really a judge at all in like he doesn't hear court cases or you know anything like that it has absolutely nothing to do with court (laughs) at all Uh, it's a weird title it's a weird title and i think in a lot of other states it's called like county commissioner or something like that but he's basically the executive branch of the county and Um, uh yeah yeah so you're part of the legislative part of the legislative side yeah which which yeah for a lot of people that don't know yeah the quorum court is is kind of the, the collective thing and these are all elected positions for mm-hmm. those of you that don't know you have a justice of the peace uh you have yeah, a you may not judge. know it you may not yeah know it, so that's do. that's definitely something that you should look up um there's plenty of resources there and if anybody needs some please feel free to dm me i will tell you exactly who your jp yeah. is because it's important to know because they're passing legislation and laws uh in your area uh Evelyn, did you yeah. always think that you were going to be a, a justice of the peace? No, 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 not at all. In fact, even in, like if you asked me that last August, I would have said no. Actually, um, I wasn't. I wasn't originally. The, I wasn't the original candidate uh, for this seat, and I wasn't originally going to run for this seat. Um, the original candidate, her name was Candy Clark, mm-hmm. uh, and some people may know her name locally. Uh, you know, because she'd been involved in local politics before. I think she'd run for the state legislature and she'd been a, a JP before. Uh, but she uh, unfortunately uh, became really sick uh, and had to drop out of the race uh, two months before the election, basically. So the, so the, the, our, the local Democratic Party 
um, decided uh, they were allowed to pick a replacement candidate. And um, I put my name in because I'd been involved in a lot of local stuff. Uh, you know, over the years, uh, I'd been involved in some like local political campaigns. And I sat on the board of the Fayetteville Housing Authority, um, which even though it's called the Fayetteville Housing Authority, it actually covers almost all of Washington County, except for Springdale. Yeah. Um, to provide affordable housing. Uh, and so I decided to, to step up and um, they, they, the, the county party picked me to be the, the candidate. It was so late in the, in the race uh, that there wasn't time to even change the ballots. Yeah. They had to include like a slip of paper uh, when they sent the absentee ballots out explaining like, uh, you know, Candy Clark isn't in the race anymore. The new candidate is Evelyn Rio Stafford. But were but you, you actually on the ballot? For, no, the, the slip said yeah, yeah. to vote for Evelyn, you have to vote for Candy. Yes. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to, they had to, and they put notices up at the voting, mm-hmm. uh, at the polling places to like explain this to people because it was already too late to even change that. So, right. Yeah. So I, I mean, have, how has that transition been? I mean, did you get to, talk to any constituents afterwards or were mm-hmm. there did you have anybody that yeah. reached out to you whenever they got those notices yeah well this was in the middle of covid uh, mm-hmm. obviously so it made you know campaigning uh, it was it was different than what usually happens you know a lot of times you know people go door knock door to door and and talk to people in their face but because of covid you know um a lot of that really wasn't happening because we wanted to keep people safe you yeah. know we didn't want to like you know, acts have, you know, a bunch of, of folks inadvertently, you know, spreading COVID from door to door. Right, so a lot right. of it was, a lot of it was just, a lot of it was phone calls. Um, a lot of it was social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of it was like hanging things on people's doors. And if they happened to be outside, um, you know, where it was safe, we'd have a conversation with people and things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of time to get everything together. Like it was a really like very rushed, right? Seat of your it pants was, kind yeah. of thing because everybody else who was running it had a whole year or two do all the stuff that uh, we were trying to compress into two months, basically. Yeah. Very brave of you to to, yeah. to still throw your hat in. So that's that's pretty cool um, that it ended up the way it ended up, and 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 you got to work on on these things. So where you mentioned some work on the housing authority in Fayetteville, have you been in Fayetteville or in Arkansas your whole life? Yeah. So, um, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up, I, my husband, uh, grew up here, but I actually grew up in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to, uh, you know, I lived in, in Oak Cliff, um, which is, um, uh, you know, kind of the South side of Dallas, um, grew up in a, in like a very diverse neighborhood, um, I went to Catholic school from first through 12th grade, uh, in Dallas. And, um, you know, uh, it was, I would say my mom went to the same school, uh, at the, when, when my mom and actually my dad too, when my mom and my dad went to that school, um, uh, and my dad's, my dad's Hispanic, my mom's white. Um, and, um, the school was almost all white mm-hmm. at that time in the sixties. When I went to, when I went to the same school, uh, it was pretty cool because the school was about one third white, one third Hispanic, and one third black. Um, wow! So I feel like um, by the time I went to college, I went to college with a lot of um, kids who had grown up in like all white suburbs, and I feel like even though I had gone to like a small religious private school, I feel like I had more of a 
diverse upbringing than a lot of the kids who've gone to public school yeah. in, in like rich suburbs, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really a lot more changes sheltered. It. <laughs> <laughs> changes the, your perspective that you have yeah. on it because private school is, is, isn't usually thought of in that way. Yeah. And I think whenever I went to Springdale High School, it was the first year that it was uh, minority majority mm-hmm. um, between, yeah. you know, uh, the Marshallese population mm-hmm. growth and uh, the, the Latinx population and the African American population. Um, and I really don't know of any other place um, within Northwest Arkansas that fits. That could that. fit that, yeah. Uh, and that's great because, yeah. like, I mean, diversity is strength. And right. to have, you know, to have people, you know, um, you know, I feel like going to school with people from different backgrounds, different cultures, like, um, you know, and growing up together, like, you just, mm. you know, you, you bond in a way and you learn so much about each other, you know, and, and I think that carries with you through your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So h- how did you end up from Oak Cliff to Arkansas? Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I went off to school in Houston after that and um, ended up, I was always like, I was always uh, interested in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by high school, I was like part of the high school newspaper and I decided I kind of wanted to get into journalism. Mm-hmm. So I went to, I went to school, I got involved in college radio. Um, and then after college, I worked in television, um, was lucky enough to get a, a job in TV wow. and, um, worked in, worked as a journalist for 20 years actually, and transferred, uh, they transferred me in the company from Houston to San Francisco. And that's where I met my husband, mm-hmm. uh, who was from Fayetteville. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you met up he, in he, California? In California. He'd uh-huh. moved out there in the 90s to be an artist. Uh-huh. Uh, and wow. he lived in this crazy, wacky artist warehouse. Uh, and he was a professional artist out there and ran this sort of like artist warehouse space. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's actually one of the kookiest ways that you end up from one place to Arkansas that the first usually it's people that go from California they grew up in California end up in Arkansas mm-hmm. uh, but yours is is, is interesting so uh, and, and he convinced me to come back to Arkansas with yeah. him <laughs> wow how did you did that take very much or it actually didn't I yeah. was like okay we'll give this a try and I really fell in love with Northwest Arkansas yeah. we were talking before the show about your love for Northwest Arkansas yeah. and yeah. I think this is this is an amazing, beautiful, hidden gem in America. Right. Yeah, Northwest Arkansas, it's it's definitely not uh, everything that the news says it is, no, right? No. Uh, there's there's so much charm. Um, I mean, is are there any activities or anything in specific that you love in Arkansas? Is there anything that you do? I mean, other than it just being gorgeous. It's um, gorgeous, yeah. I mean, I'm a big bike rider. Um, you know, I used to... You know, I used to ride up and down the hills in San Francisco, which is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Ozarks, the Ozarks, there's so many bike trails here and everything else. Like, I'm really into bike riding um, and really into art, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me and me and Bob obviously are, are really into, the, you know, the art scene here. Having Crystal Bridges here is in the momentary and things like that is super cool. Yeah. But even beyond just those, like, big institutional kind of things, there's, you know, I like the fact that there's, like, a real thriving... Uh, scene of like homegrown artists who are doing you know pretty cool stuff here from from mural art to you know all kinds of stuff music yeah it, see that's for me like we always have uh, you know elected officials that come on and they tell us they weren't planning on running but it's really just the love that you end up mm-hmm. having um, because 
you don't necessarily love the direction that some politics are going, right? Um, and, and, and is that necessarily why you felt the need to throw your name in the hat whenever that JP position came up? Yeah, I did. Um, because, the, we, you know, the county has been having a lot of, I guess, uh, issues and sort of rancor and back and forth. Um, and I wanted to, uh, I was hoping to be able to use what I'd learned from being on the housing authority and helping to kind of turn things around there mm -hmm. to maybe apply that to the county because I saw that there was a lot of division because um, I felt like there was a lot of lack of transparency and 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 letting the public know uh, what was going on with the county and I felt like also applying my journalism skills to that mm -hmm. would be able to help let the public know like what actually is happening in the county and what's happening with your money and different things like that yeah like a lot of people aren't even aware of what the county's doing yeah yeah and i mean that's maybe one of the most important jobs of i think of an elected official is the ability Communicating to yeah communicate being the liaison to just resources and information yeah um which is why it's so important for people to know their elected officials uh, so i mean it, i know that the the washington county has been doing a lot of work in with the housing commission during covid um, you know, I always think yes. it's, it, it's good to, to, since you come from that, I mean, do you still know those, if those resources, cause COVID's not gone. Um, obviously we still have, yeah. uh, things going on, um, Delta variants out there. Um, I, you and yeah, I were, we're talking about, yet. yeah, we were yeah. just talking about, I'm, I'm probably going to start wearing my mask again. I mean, is there anything as an elected official, any resources or anything that, that you've seen from the housing commission or, um, from the cares money that the County received that. Uh, people need to be informed about? Yeah, so the, you know, some of the bi the biggest issues with the county that we're grappling with right now is all of this, there's a huge amount of federal money that's rolled down to the county level. Um, we're getting uh, $46 million through the American Rescue Plan that was just passed in January. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of, I think, a lot of battles over what to do with that money. Uh, before that, last year, we got uh, $4.5 million dollars through the CARES Act. Uh, and then we've also gotten $7 million for affordable housing, which we've been working with the Housing Authority um, to try and, it's basically for rent relief, um, yeah. to try and give people who are, who've been hurt by the pandemic through no fault of their own and haven't been able to pay rent um, to help them, to help make them and their landlords whole again. Yeah. Um, you know, so that people, the idea is to help people stay in their homes. Um, because the last thing that we want is for people to get evicted during the pandemic. Right, absolutely. Um, Shelter proved to be so important during yeah. all of this. Um, so yeah, I mean, have, having a place to, to be home yeah. um, is, is a privilege. Yeah. I think it's, it's one thing that we talked about here is that sometimes going straight to the county, people don't even know there are county resources. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and, and so that's an amazing thing is having rent relief and, and being able to say like, you know, there's this money allotted. Um, are there other things that, that have been going on with uh, some of this money, deciding where it's going to go? Yes, there have been big fights over what to do with this money. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and it's been very partisan, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the Republicans who hold a majority right now on the, on the quorum court, uh, they want to kind of like, I want to say sort of like hoard the money for a rainy day and, you know, mm. or, or, or not use it at all or use it internally for, for things maybe that wasn't the, I, that I don't feel was the original intent of what this money was meant for. 
Um, you know, and there are those of us who think that we should be spending this money on helping the people who have been hurt by the pandemic in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of my colleagues, um, you know, put forward to use the CARES Act money that we got for uh, food relief, uh, to help with homelessness, and to help small businesses that have been hurt by the pandemic. All things that you think wouldn't necessarily be controversial. Right. Um, but it turned into this big political battle, and um, the, the, the county Republican Party actually put out uh, an edict uh, mm-hmm. instructing the Republican JPs to vote against this. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, because they didn't, their, their reasoning was that they didn't want to grow government. You know, yeah. uh, it was this very sort of like libertarian kind of thinking. You know, and I can understand that in some circumstances, but I think that we are in, we're in an extraordinary time right now with the pandemic. Um, this isn't a, bi- a time for business as usual. There's, there's too many people hurting. And I think that you know, the federal government gave us this money for a reason and we should be using it for the way that it was intended, Yeah, um, which is to, to help people. Have, have you had anybody reach out and, and ask you to, to vote, to keep it as a rainy day? Or, I mean, uh, what are, what, what's some of the feedback yeah, um, that you I mean, might get from your constituents? I mean, there, you know, there's been a few people, you know, who think that way, but the majority of, you know, emails and phone calls and social media messages and everything else that we've gotten, the vast majority, you know, has been in favor of using this money to help the community. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, there's even a, there's a, even a Facebook group that has started because of this yeah. whole battle that has almost a thousand people in this Facebook group who are active. They're posting stuff almost every single day, trying to figure out different ways to, to do that. The silver lining is, I think more people than ever are now aware of that there is a county government, yeah, what, right. that, it's, that it's kind of dysfunctional and, and, and what's actually going on and, and really kind of educating themselves. And I think that there's really a lot of energy, uh, you know, on the side of getting involved in making change in the next election, which is going to happen in 2022. Right. Right. And, and to your point, why it's also important to not only know who your elected officials are, uh, but know that you can have multiple avenues to reach out to them. Like oh, yeah. you mentioned, you, you can tweet at them. Uh, you, you can, can tweet at me. You can you give can... a phone call. You can yeah. send an email. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, all different ways that I think most of us are, are privy to. Yeah. Um, I, had one of, to, I had one of my yeah. neighbors like walk across the street one day oh, yeah. and ask me about something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. I mean, yeah. yeah and, and just being accessible. I mean, that's uh, elected officials are uh, people just like you. You yeah. know, they'll, they'll open a letter and, and react. Uh, so, you know, get, get in touch with your elected officials if you have this point. I mean, so I, I know that. And there is money out there to help you. There's money for rent uh-huh. relief. There's money. You know, we're about to get this huge pot of money that can be used in a whole bunch of different ways from all kinds of different stuff, from affordable child care to um, getting people, making sure people out in the county have broadband, you know, so that they can work from home safely during the pandemic and, you know, all kinds of different ways that we can use it that's related to COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like you said, emergency money. We, we mm-hmm. have to treat it like such. So if you have anybody, again, uh, that needs that feel free to reach out to us you know on on the district three podcast uh instagram more personally um i'm happy to help redirect some folks um so 
Now, I, I, you mentioned that the corn core is, is sometimes dysfunctional. Um, I, 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 I concur sometimes. Um, I've definitely seen it, but I see it at all levels of government at times. And I think the corn core uh, recently made this uh, resolution, I believe it's a resolution, um, that was similar mm -hmm. to something that happened in the Springdale City Council. Yes. Um, yeah. And where there's a resolution, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong with any of this, declaring Washington County uh, a pro-life a pro county. county. Yeah. Um, it, and for those of you that don't know, this a similar thing happened in in the Springdale City Council, and I think it's you know kind of a, a growing movement to make local governments declare this. Apparently, um, it, for those that may not know. Um, from an educated source, what does this actually mean? I mean, do, does it mean, uh, you know, that we're all, anybody that has an address is declared pro-life or has some kind of stamp by a government? I mean, how, how do yeah, people it, react to this? It, you know, it, it in, in practical terms, it doesn't actually mean anything. And, mm -hmm. and when we woke up the next day, uh, we hadn't, we hadn't helped a single person in this county any more than we'd helped the day before, unfortunately. Um, and to me, the question is like, what is what does pro life actually mean, right? Mm -hmm. And and I understand, you know, the, I understand what the folks who were bringing it forward forward meant. They meant, you know, we're going to do everything we can to uh, prevent abortion, which is a very controversial issue. It's a very divisive issue. There's people on on both sides of this issue, and it's not something that our county government is going to solve uh, by passing a resolution, but. But, you know, I wanted to think about it in broader terms is, you know, I, w I want us to, you know, be looking at this whole thing holistically, you know, even from the even from the, the folks who are like the big advocates for reproductive rights and everything else like that. They know from from looking at research and things like that, what actually reduces the need for, you know, a woman to feel like she she has to go down that path right mm -hmm. um and and i would say you know on the other side of the aisle isn't that something that you would want right right and so they know that they know that there's there's having being um in a good economic situation um has an effect they know that having affordable housing having um you know s stable employment where you make a living wage um having adequate health care um, having childcare that's mm -hmm. affordable, you know, after you have a child and, you know, to be able to, to not have to make a choice between, you know, am I going to work full time or am I going to have to work part time because I, I have to take care, you know, of my young child because I can't afford the childcare. Right. Right. So those are all, those are all, you know, dis decision making factors, you know, that, 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 that people make, that women make, that families make and everything else like that. Um, so my art, my, I wanted to add to the ordinance. I actually wanted to add to the ordinance that we were going to make it the official policy of the county to support, um, affordable health care, affordable child care, mm -hmm. um, affordable housing and a living wage. Yeah. You know, B basically which, saying, you know, this, this is, these pro, are the pro-life These, are, pro these are all yeah. pro-life things, yeah. right? These are all things that, that are going to, you know, achieve goals I, I would think of people, no matter what political end of the spectrum you're coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, my my Republican colleagues all voted against it. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and and so is a lot of the argument worrying that some of this, you know, we're talking about these big pots of money that are coming in. Yeah. Is it a worry that some of this money is going to end up going towards some of the things that you just mentioned? I mean, is that what some of the maybe? People, yeah, 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 maybe, kind of, maybe. And I mean, obviously, I'd like, you know, the money to go towards some of those things because yeah. we desperately need it. Um, you know, we know that because of the pandemic uh, that, uh, you know, child care has been impacted, not only. Yeah. Not only has it's more expensive, uh, but there are fewer providers, and the providers that are there, they have to take more precautions to make sure the kids are safe and they're not accidentally spreading COVID to each other and different things like that. It's become a whole, it's become a whole thing. It's become more scarce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why the federal government is saying this is one of the ways you can use the money is for affordable childcare. So to me, like if you look at the big picture, right, right. this is all tied together. Um, you know, this is all tied together. And I think that, um, to me, that's, to me, providing a service like that is pro-life. Yeah. You know, to me, making sure that, um, you know, uh, that we promote the vaccine, um, that, that, that pregnant women don't end up, uh, in the hospital with COVID, which we know is increasing. We've seen the numbers increasing with the Delta variant. Um, I know that there's been a lot of, of hesitancy, um, with like, you know, I'm pregnant, should I get the vaccine or should I not get the vaccine? Um, you know, and then unfortunately, because of that hesitancy, we've ended up seeing, you know, more and more um, pregnant moms end up in the hospital with COVID and postpartum too, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. it's really an unfortunate situation. Yeah, it's a problem is, right now. And, and to me, that's pro-life, right, you know, right. uh, you know, we could spend money tomorrow in the county to do a marketing campaign to, to promote, advocate yeah. to advocate people getting the vaccine but the state very same folks who voted for this pro-life resolution don't want to do that yeah they don't want to promote vaccination right which is very interesting i mean it, it, and it speaks to uh for those of you that don't know arkansas has one of the lowest vaccination rates in, in yes. the entire country yeah um which is as embarrassing as it is i mean it's just a health issue um for me, it's, it, I know so my entire family's vaccinated because I worry that, you know, things are, are, are going to happen to them. They're going to get sick. And may, I'm, I'm starting to hear stories again of, of people getting sick and, mm-hmm. and passing away. Uh, so again, you know, get vaccinated if you can. Uh, but, you know, these are the type of things that a county uh, can do. Can do. Yeah. yeah. Quorum Court has that money allocated you can you can advocate for vaccination at a county level i mm-hmm. mean and, and especially for those of us that live in washington county but i think in any county in any listener um in arkansas you know you can you can reach out to your elected officials in the county level and say hey you know i've heard <laughs> this much money is supposed to come yeah um or you know i've heard there's a big pot going out because it is it's 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 out there it's already been mm-hmm. voted on at a federal level um, right now, it's just deciding how this money is going to be allocated. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, it's been it's been kind of locked up. Uh, yeah. you know, um, it, it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, and we know that even with the the rent relief money, it hasn't been going out as fast enough as we would like it to go out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the county has a, a variety of other problems. There's uh, the the public defender's office is is part of the county. Um, you know, they they help. Um, you know, they're sort of the the legal defense of last resort um, for poor people who are involved in the, the in the court system, 
their building that they're in is has had this crazy leaky roof and they've got like trash cans everywhere and their files have gotten damaged by water and oh really we've I heard, hadn't heard about that we've That's heard crazy. horror stories about how disabled clients have had to like oh, pull no. themselves up the stairs and and uh, the air conditioning broke in the building and they had to you know they had to all go home and not meet with their clients and wow and the you know the crisis stabilization unit, which is supposed to be an alternative to jail uh, for people who are having mental health crises, they have had now had to shut down as of the end of June because of a, a funding gap. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of real issues like that that we're dealing with as a county, and instead we're passing you know meaningless resolutions. Yeah, and and you know it, it affects so many in in plenty of ways that you pointed out. Um, I think, you know, there's these dangerous stances that some governments take and, and it's really deciding should you be taking that stance. Um, and I think, Evelyn, you've been very outspoken about um, uh, other laws that are we've been passing at the state level. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. At the state legislature uh, recently passed in the, in the most recent session, um, some legislation. And again, uh, Evelyn, you've been the most outspoken, so correct me if I'm wrong on this again, uh, but it, it, legislation that would uh, not allow children, uh, specifically trans children, to, to seek, and LGBTQ uh, children to seek uh, health care or, or uh, yeah, I can, gender I can affirming care. Um, yeah. care yeah. Right? yeah, I can kind of speak on that. So, you know, one of the, this isn't the reason that I ran, mm -hmm. but it's one of the reasons that I've gotten, I think, so much attention uh, since I did get elected to office is that I'm the first uh, and only uh, openly trans elected official in Arkansas history. Right. Um, you know, like I said, it's not the reason I ran. I ran to focus on county issues, but it's uh, it has been a way it, in, in a way it's it's been interesting because it, it's sort of been a way that I've ended up getting a microphone in yeah. a way. Uh, you know, and and yes, uh, when I when I ran, I thought that I was going to 100% focus on county issues. I had no idea uh, that in this most recent legislative session that they were going to pass um, the most uh, anti-LGBTQ laws uh, ever in any legislative session in Arkansas history. Yeah. Uh, and one of them, one of them is a complete ban uh, on gender-affirming health care for for anyone 18 and under. It's the only law of its kind in the nation. Um, yeah. So really, when, whenever and, you're saying, you know, one of the worst in, in, yeah. the, in, in the history of the state, it's really some of the most repressive legislation in the history of the country. Yeah. And I and I don't you know, and it's a and the, and the thing is, I think that uh, a lot of people it's an issue that a lot of people aren't necessarily totally familiar with mm -hmm. or really understand or understand why it's um, why it's not a good thing. Um, you know, I think that the folks who are who have been pushing these laws and I. You know, I'll give I'll give a shout out to Springdale Representative Robin Lundstrom, mm -hmm. uh, who was the author of this bill, actually. Uh, you know, and and she has, um, you know, been very tied into some out of state uh, groups and and money and I think and different things like that, um, who are sort of like you know trying to push I think a certain agenda, um, and uh, you know, unfortunately. Uh, I've heard from, from families of, you know, of LGBTQ young people uh, that she has refused to meet with them, that she's refused to hear them, to listen to them, to understand mm -hmm. 
their side of this issue. And that's really unfortunate because yeah. I think that if you're if you're passing uh, a law that affects families, you'd want to talk to those families and understand their perspective. Right, 100%. Before, you know, before pushing something through. And it doesn't sound like that happened at all in this case from the families that I've spoken to. Um, yeah, and, and maybe you can speak a little bit on, you know, what those families would want to say uh, yeah. to, to legislators that voted for this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was recently, I'll say, uh, I was invited to speak uh, on the final day of um, this really great uh, summer camp uh, for kids, for, for young people called Queer Camp that was put on by um, Reverend Clint over at uh, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. Yeah, yeah shout the, out to Reverend Clint. Uh, it was he's the, a friend of the podcast. Yeah. And we love him so much. It was the first, uh, it was the first uh, event of its kind uh, in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was teenagers. Um, and, you know, their, their families were involved in, as volunteers and things like that. And it was just a really sweet uh, sort of space where the, the kids could sort of like be in a, I guess, a, a safe space for them um, where they could just be themselves and, and be around other young people who knew sort of like where they were coming from and just, you know, uh, you know, do art and do theater and, yeah. uh, you know, and just different kind of fun activities. Such a beautiful like thing. Like that. Yeah. yeah just, to just be themselves, yeah. basically, and not, and not be in a space where they had to worry about being bullied and things like that. Because that was, when I spoke to these kids, that was, that was one of the big topics that we talked about was bullying. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I had been bullied growing up, um, you know, from about fifth grade on, um, you know, because, you know, I'm, uh, you, know, you know, being trans myself, and I didn't necessarily have at the time that I was growing up, like the language or the knowledge, but I think other kids sort of like picked up on that I was different, you know, and I got called, you know, different things like, you know, poof and, and things like that. Kids would, you know, try to fight me or beat me up or different things like that, um, you know, up until about the middle of high school, basically. Um, so I know what these kids are going through, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, a lot of times they're in, they're in schools where they're being, you know, bullied for being different, or maybe they have, you know, issues, um, yeah. you know, maybe even with teachers or things like that. Um, so that was a lot of, that was a lot of what we talked about. Um, but like the, you know, this, this isn't in this ban, this complete ban on, you know, on, on trans affirming healthcare isn't something that these families have been asking for what they're focused on. They're focused on, they want, you know, uh, anti-bullying in schools. Yeah. They want, they want, um, you know, teachers to be educated about what it means to be, you know, uh, an LGBTQ young person. Right. Um, Which is, and that's one of the things that they're working on banning as well, right? Yes. Is is just, uh, and, and I think that's, there's a larger conversation that's happening in Arkansas about diversity education. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of those things is, is diversity in the classroom is your LGBTQ yeah. um, population and, and, and having educated teachers, uh, teachers that as great as our teachers are, like sometimes they don't have uh, mm-hmm. exposure or experience with LGBTQ students. Um, so having somebody, some kind of education, you know, at least a conversation about yeah. what, what those experiences should look like. Um, yeah, because it is, some people yeah. may want to, you know, deny it, but it is a reality in schools. Yeah. It is a reality. 
um, you know, like you said, I mean, you're talking about fifth grade. I mean, these things they happen yeah. uh, very early. I mean, and, and those experiences affect you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll be reminded. I went to, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, and one of the things, uh, you know, not just bullying but also harassment, um, violence in some cases. Um, these are the real issues that these families are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, a few couple months ago, uh, unfortunately, I went, you know, to a memorial service uh, here in Springdale for China Carrillo, uh, who's, um, uh, you know, uh, she's, you know, a trans woman of color from right. grew up here in Springdale uh, and was murdered um, last year, uh, and her family was there and everything else, and they they told stories about her life, um, but China's family knew that she was trans from the age that she was three or four years old. Yeah. That's when she started expressing like, you know, I'm a girl or I want to be a girl when I grow up, basically. And that was, that was her whole experience growing up, you know, and the, the, you know, and it wasn't, you know, I would say as a parent, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, um, you know, so, so some of these parents today, uh, who are being affected by these laws, they've known that their kids are, are either going to grow up to be gay or lesbian or trans since the kids were, were that age, you right. know, since the kids were young. And, and with the trans kids, um, you know, the parents have seen this coming, you know, uh, for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think the folks who've, who've passed this complete ban are fear-mongering about, they fear-mongered about things that aren't happening and never would happen. You know, they, they brought up, you know, uh, s- scenarios about, you know, they were, you know, they, they, they tried to, um, you know, create this, you know, I don't know, fantasy narrative that there is these evil doctors out there that are performing surgeries on seven-year-olds against their will. Right. And none yeah. of that, like zero percent of that is true. Like right. none of that is is happening in reality. What's happening in reality is that there's a very even among you know these LGBTQ kids, there's a very small number. So it's almost like a, a group within a group, right? Mm-hmm. There's a very small number that the families have known um, that they were trans since they were three or four years old, and they are you know they're trying to do what they can to help them because they know that. Um, they want to set those th- them up to to be successful in life. Yeah. And the research has shown that if this small group of kids went that once they become teenagers, like in other words, after puberty, right? We're not talking about little kids or anything like that at all. Um, that if they get gender affirming health care, that they have uh, better mental health. They do better in school. Um, you know, they are they fit in better with their peers, um, you know, and, and all sorts of other, you know, positive benefits that they have, um, setting themselves up for life. They do better in college. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I think the mental health side of it is maybe one of the most important aspects because you're, when you talk about an individual that is, uh, figuring things out, um, regardless of the age. I mean, anybody that's young at that age trying to figure things out and you hear that your government is telling you, hey, this is not a direction that uh, we think should be legal. I mean, that that really does hurt. Um, and, and yes, even just that sends a message to these families. Um, yeah. You know, they, in order to pass, the, and the families are angry. 
I'll yeah. tell you, they're, they're angry, they're scared. And one of the things that they're angry about is because they felt that in order to get this bill passed through the legislature, that the people that were pushing it had to demonize these parents. They had to present a narrative that these are bad parents, that they're negligent parents, that they're doing something bad to their kids, that it's the same as if they were letting their kids smoke underage or drink wow. or get a tattoo or do something harmful to themselves. Um, and so, you know, these parents were really painted as villains in a way in order to get this bill passed. And I've met these parents. This couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. These are good, these are good people who want to do what's, what's best for their kids, just like any parent um, would, would, you know, walk over hot coals um, yeah. you know, to do what they think is to do what they think is best for their own kids, for their own families. And this is the state taking away families' decisions to do what's what, what they believe is best for themselves. Right. And, you know, my response is, you know, this is there's a there's decades of of medical research behind this. This is this is mainstream. This is the American Medical Association and the American Pediatric Association and all kinds of other associations see this as mainstream medicine. It's it's been around since the nineties. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's just, you know, Robin Lundstrom somehow just found out about it last year and decided it's not a good thing, even though there's there's been decades behind this. Yeah. Um so they know and, and it's taking away it's taking away and it, it's scary in a way because to me it's this is big government uh, taking away families, getting in between families and their doctors right. and telling families, we know what's best for you and you don't know what's best for you. Yeah. That's, and that's a lot to swallow. I mean, to, to think that that's something that, uh, it's really, you're getting the, the freedom to be able to go and do that taken away, yeah. um, which is, is, isn't fair for anybody. And Evelyn, we, I want to thank you so much for being a voice to those things. I mean, obviously you have such a unique background and experience on this. Um, that I think that itself has has been really affirming to a lot of constituents. Yeah. So uh, I want to thank you so much for jumping on here again. Um, you have such a unique perspective, and, and I think it's so special to, to be able to have you representing people here in Northwest Arkansas. It's so cool to me. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the District 3 Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. Again, this was Manny. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Peace. Hey everybody, in this episode we do mention death and funerals quite a bit, so we wanted to give anybody that may be extra sensitive to this subject a heads up. Thank you for listening and enjoy!